With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello everyone, Matt Larkin, senior writer here, the Hockey News, and we are doing a live Q&A fantasy hockey, okay? We're talking hockey pools early in your seasons, I know, but sometimes that means you panic, you have major questions, you don't know who's a legitimate pickup, who's not, so let's go to the question board, they're coming in now, we're going to just get right to it, why not, right? So we're going to start with Dayton Original, at Dayton Original says, I have Carey Price and Tuka Rask and Robin Lehner, I need scoring help, should I shop Carey Price or Tuka Rask? I can drop Lehner for Varlamov as my backup. Okay, uh, the guy that I would shop in this case between Rask and, and Price uh, is, is Tuka Rask. And it's not because Rask got hurt last night. It sounds like that was just cramping. So I don't think we should worry about that. Uh, and I'm a Rask owner, by the way. But I would shop Rask because Price is more likely to get higher volume. We're in an era where, you know, you're going to see both goalies have their workloads managed. But Rask last year, uh, he was particularly managed by the Bruins. It was a very deliberate thing. Yaroslav Halak, one of the better backups in the league. I think Rask, if I'm not mistaken, was almost under 50 games. He was close to the 50-game mark. And lo and behold, he played great through the playoffs, got to the Stanley Cup final. It wasn't a coincidence. He was even open about that. He understood that his, his workload was managed. So I think Boston will continue with that strategy. Now, Carey Price, of course, with his injury history, he's going to be managed as well. But I still think he's going to play more games than Rask, assuming he's healthy. And a lot of hockey pools, they use volume categories. So if you're, if you're in a league that has wins, saves, stuff like that, you're going to want to go carry Price. He's a better bet for volume. So that's my answer. Next question is from at Danger Powers 19. 19, my favorite number. Uh, now that Justin Falk is in the fold and Braden Shen has been signed to an extension, what do you predict will happen with Alex Petrangelo? Technically, this is not a fantasy hockey question, but I'm going to let it slide, all right? Because this is proof that it's live, okay? So now you know, everyone, it's live. Uh, I do think Alex Petrangelo will be signed, will be re-signed with the Blues. Uh, it's going to be a little tough to manage their cap next season, but he's their captain, and we saw with the Braden Shen deal, teams tend to, in this era, they reward their Stanley Cup champions with long-term deals, even if the deals end up being a bit painful near the end of the contract and Pietrangelo he's he's just he's still on his peak right now big rangy can do everything one of the best shutdown guys in the game and the Blues cannot afford to lose him you're gonna have Jay Bowmeister coming off the book soon uh, and I think you know cap wise it's gonna still be tight if the cap doesn't go up enough because Pietrangelo is probably playing his way into you know a cap hit in the 10 million dollar range wouldn't surprise me so you may have to see someone like Alexander Steen sent to a team that's at, you know that needs to get to the salary salary floor or maybe even Jaden Schwartz who knows so there is going to be a bit of gymnastics required with the cap but I don't think Pietrangelo will be a casualty uh, by any means unless he's really dead set on sort of testing the market and going elsewhere uh, next question is from at fantasy hockey taco I'm going to guess that is a reference to the league uh, the TV show The League. And Taco says, who is the long-term solution for Edmonton at PP1? Well, it's interesting because I did write uh, an article that's on the website right now. It's about James Neal. And I think the Oilers have been very wise deploying him, playing him a ton on the power play. Uh, whereas Calgary, he was a second-unit guy. 
Uh, Edmonton right now is just putting him right at the net, and he it's benef- he's benefiting tremendously. He's already got four power play goals, leads the league in power play goals. So I don't know if you can call him a long-term. I mean, he's signed long-term, so you hope he's a long-term answer. Uh, you know that Dreisaitl is part of the long-term power play one. You know that Connor McDavid is. Ryan Nugent-Hopkins, we'll see, because that contract is not going on forever. But for now, you know, I think we can call him long-term. As for the other spot on that power play, uh, you know, Oscar Clefbaum is a guy who can put the puck to the net from the blue line, sure. Uh, in a perfect scenario, you're going to want to see Evan Bouchard become that guy. He's a very smart defenseman coming out of Major Junior with London, great puck mover. And as he matures, sure, you want him to be a quarterback on the power play. You hope that happens. Uh, you could go five forwards. Who knows these days, right? So you could see someone like Tyler Benson getting a chance, Kyler Yamamoto. Uh, but if we're thinking of forwards, if we, if, we, if we say that one of Neil and Nugent Hopkins isn't part of the long-term top power play, and we're looking at prospects like Yamamoto or Benson, I kind of wonder if there's going to be another forward to emerge, as in the Oilers get another first-round pick and they're going to have to draft another guy with a high ceiling, now that just that Jesse Pugliarvi is not part of their future. So if I'm if I'm looking you know, three, three to four years ahead, I think it's going to be a name that we don't know yet uh, that's on that first power play unit next one is from disney dad sd all right disney dad this is a comment you strike me as a lucky charms with almond milk kind of guy because i i made a, a tweet about breakfast earlier uh i was i was a honey nut cheerios guy and my all-time favorite cereal though we're gonna i'm gonna steer it back to hockey it's wayne gretzky pro stars it came out in the 80s it kind of tasted like honey nut cheerios it was so good but it's gone i can't find it anywhere and if anybody knows where I can find Wayne Gretzky Pro Stars, please tweet at me at THM Matt Larkin. Let me know because I would love to eat that cereal again, okay? eBay. eBay? You can find it on eBay? Uh, it won't taste any good. I was going to say, it would be, it'd be pretty stale. Uh-huh. That was producer Stephen, by the way, chiming in. Wayne Gretzky Pro Stars are older than him, literally, by the way. They were discontinued before he was born. Next question is from at Angry Punishment. Here's another James Neal question, which is fair. He's leading the league in goals, four goals last night, so we can talk Oilers still some more. Uh, Angry Punishment says, if you were ballsy enough, ballsy, I mean gutsy, eh, live, see, live, uh, if you were gutsy enough to draft James Neal, do you hang on to him or try to trade him to nerdy Oilers fans right now? I mean, if you think you can get a top 50, even top 100 fantasy player for James Neal right now, that's a chip that you probably do want to cash in. At the same time, I I don't think it's a stretch to treat James Neal as a 25-goal asset going forward, maybe even a 30-goal asset, because before last season, he scored at least 20 goals every single season, 10 years in a row, and he averaged 31 goals per 82 games. So... Uh, and it's not like he's 37 years old. He's 32, so he's past his prime, but he still has some good years left. And it seems like the Oilers are committed to using him in a way that plays to his strengths. So, and, and just by by virtue of just being there, literally, like, Leon Dreisaitl literally banked a puck off him last night. A, a perfect slap pass redirected by James Neal. So when you have players of that caliber feeding you the puck, you're going to get a bunch of goals. Neal hasn't lost his finishing ability, as he's quickly showing us. He has one more goal to tie last year's entire output in 63 games. So... I think if you're trading James Neal, you're making sure that you're doing so for a proven 25 to 30 goal asset. You, you got to be careful um, because, yes, he's a sell high, but he's not a dump. You don't treat him like he's nothing. I think he's still going to have some good games for the rest of the season. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, this question is about um, – uh, it's from Brian – Brian uh, VXYZ, which players are usually early season point producers, mid season sell high candidates, uh, mid season buy low candidates? Well, 
I get it. I, I want to focus on one part of that question because we have a lot of other stuff coming in. Okay, so uh, I get it. I get to focus on the buy low because I had a guy on the on my mind already this year, and and that's Sergey Bobrovsky. This time in the season, this early in the season, uh, it's pretty difficult to declare many guys. You know, buy low, sell highs, and is an exception. Of course, he's fair to discuss because he's been so good. But I think Bobrovsky is a unique case because there seems to be more panic when a goalie's off to a bad start versus you know a top a top four like Nikita Kucherov has two points. There aren't think pieces being printed on Nikita Kucherov. Oh, has he lost it? Whereas there are pieces being printed today about Sergey Bobrovsky and what's wrong with his slow start. Uh, and the thing about Bobrovsky is we shouldn't be surprised by this. Uh, I personally wrote about it a few weeks ago to expect. Uh, the Panthers to have to battle a little bit in October, a very hard schedule, opening with back-to-back against Tampa, nine games on the road this month, and Sergei Bobrovsky's worst month historically is October, always has been. He was terrible in October last year, and he finished off above average. Uh, he's still an elite goaltender, so uh, I think he's an, an ideal buy low right now. If you can capitalize on someone who's frustrated seeing that big goal total, he's probably torpedoed somebody's goals against average in their league for their first match or, or their stats if they're in a roto league. Uh, and you can bank on Bobrovsky to be better as the season progresses. That's just his career pattern. So he's a guy that I would absolutely target right now. Buy low, Sergey Bobrovsky. Okay, let's see. Ooh, here's a fun one. This is from David Thompson. Is Victor Olofsson for real? Yes, he is. Uh, he's a guy who, yes, he's a late bloomer, 24 years old, but if you look at his career progression, he's been steadily improving to the point that he's a legitimate threat as an NHL goal scorer. A couple years ago, he led the Swedish league, a very good league, in goals. Uh, he comes to the AHL, and last year, he's a 30-goal man in the AHL. And the AHL, it's a hard league. You know, In this era of the AHL, you're not getting 50-goal scores or 100-point scores, so 30 goals in the AHL is very impressive. Uh, he quickly won the favor of Ralph Kruger uh, in preseason. And so personally, he was a guy that you know, I drafted him in my league. I put him on my sleeper list and uh, uh, my Calder trophy watch list as well um, because he's got a, a release, a goal-scoring release that everybody raves about. Uh, he's a finisher. Uh, and I think it gives the Sabres the flexibility to move Jeff Skinner around. It's not great for Jeff Skinner's fantasy value if he's not playing with Jack Eichel, but for the Sabres as a whole, they don't want to be a one-line team. So if you can split and have a trigger man on two different lines, uh, it's good for the whole team, and right now it's been Olofsson getting that shot, and he's very much looked comfortable. He's been as advertised. So I'm not saying Olofsson's going to be a 50-goal guy, but do I think he can be a 25-goal guy as a rookie? I do. Uh, if you look at the other rookie forwards in the league right now, uh, I've said this before, a lot of them are more playmaker types. So I, I wouldn't, I don't think it would be a stretch if Victor Olofsson ended up leading all rookies in goals this season. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised remotely. So I think he's for real. Yes, I do. And I want to mention that there's a really good article on thehockeynews.com about Victor Olsson. I know a cool guy who wrote it, but uh, it, it kind of explains his career path and how the fact that his development over the last couple of years was so well planned and the fact that he was a seventh-round pick and the fact that he played in Europe and as a result, the NHL team or the Sabres got to hold his rights for a longer period of time. That really helped his development as opposed to just signing him and sending him to the ECHL right away. Instead, he got to play on a really good Swedish team for a few years. And uh, now we're seeing kind of the benefits there for the Sabres. Great insight from Stephen. Also gave me time to take a sip of water because I'm, I've lost my voice this week, so I was talking a lot there. Uh, and there's a follow-up part of that question that I missed. It was, it was uh, should I drop Eric Stahl for him? It's funny, a couple years ago, you know, Eric Stahl scored 42 goals, but I think at this point in his career, Stahl, the role is still there, but I'm more of an upside guy. Stahl's more of a, of a roster filler, a guy 
that, you know, if you're in a pretty deep league, he's he's one of your depth guys at this point of his career. I'm not very bullish on the Wild as a team, as an offensive team. I think they're a low-ceiling team. And Olsen, okay, fine. Is it is it possible that Olsen, you know, he flames out and he ends up scoring 11 goals and you end up dropping him, you know, middle of the season? Sure. But I think at this point, we know that Olsen's got a lot of ceiling uh, as, he, as long as he's playing with Jack Eichel. And I don't think the ceiling's there for Stahl anymore. So I say this early in the season... I like going for upside for the deeper part of my roster, so I would go with Victor Olsen over Eric Stahl. Uh, this is an interesting question from Ed Carp. Uh, should I drop Jay Hughes? I think he's referring to Jack Hughes uh, and pick up McCann. Wow. Ed, you need to calm down, my friend. You need to calm down. To quote Taylor Swift, apparently. Um, yes, Jared McCann, he was really good when he got a shot with Sidney Crosby last year. Uh, and now with all the injuries, it's possible that the Penguins lineup, they have so many forward injuries, it's going to thrust McCann back into that spot. But the thing with the Penguins and the Penguins' rotating cast of wingers over the years is I find if you get caught chasing, oh, who's playing with Crosby? Who's playing with Crosby? It's just an endless headache because it's constantly changing. And even if McCann's back on that line for the next game, there could be another healthy body back in the lineup, pushes McCann down the lineup again. It's just exhausting. Uh, and that excludes even the idea that we're talking about Jack Hughes. Jack Hughes is the guy... You need to keep, I'm not even talking in the keeper league, even in a redraft league, Jack Hughes, the ceiling is still immense, even though he's off to a bit of a quiet start. And yes, you could ask the question, is he physically ready for the NHL? He's not a big kid, but I'm not too worried. I'm really not. I think Jack Hughes is still going to be at least a 60-point player as a rookie. Uh, And I I think that would be a massive accomplishment for Jared McCann, who's who's a two-way guy. And and, Jared McCann, I think, in the right situation, could score 20 goals. But I don't think you're going to see the consistent role always in the top six or always in the first line that's going to yield bigger production. Whereas we know Jack Hughes, he's going to get the chance. He's a top-two center no matter what in New Jersey. So keep Jack Hughes, please, Ed, okay? Thank you. Um... The next question, ooh, Brian Root says, what is David Pasternak's ceiling this season? Will he produce at the same rate as last year if he remains healthy? Uh, I think that David Pasternak, first of all, will remain healthy because the injury was such a fluke. It wasn't like, you know, oh, it's a soft tissue injury. It's going to keep recurring. It was like he slipped He slipped after a, a non-hockey event and he hurt his thumb. And I think that's totally fluky. So I don't expect something like that to recur. Uh, and otherwise, I think he's a pretty durable player. I'm, hu- I'm a huge fan of David Pasternak. Uh, I think his ceiling is enormous, uh, especially he's statistically uh, last year was the best power play scorer in the entire league. If you look at power play points or goals, at least per 60 minutes, uh, and he's on a great power play. It will continue to set him up as the trigger man. He's got a great one-timer. People talk about Ovi's one-timer, Steven Stamkos, but Pasternak's got a really good one-timer as well. And I'm really excited to see the season in which he's you know at his peak, which he is now, and healthy. Because last year he would have been a, a roughly a hundred point guy if he had finished the whole season, and I think that is his ceiling. I think I think he can be a hundred point guy this year. I think he's a legitimate candidate to win the Rocket Richard Trophy as well. People love to talk Ovi. They like to, like to talk about Drysail, Austin Matthews. I think that David Pasternak absolutely be- belongs in that conversation as well. Only thing to watch for is that he's been so good on the power play. Is he going to regress a little bit just because he's just you know, power play predict, uh, opportunities are tougher to project year to year. At the same time, I think the progression as he just matures into his prime would offset that regression. So uh, I'll say if I'm predicting his final stat line, I'll say 45 goals and 92 points or something like that. Okay, so he's an elite player to me. I think he's a first round caliber player in fantasy leagues right now. Uh, let's see. Next one is from Alex Aleshin. Maybe it's Aleshin. I apologize if, I, if I'm saying it wrong, Alex. Does Patty Marlowe have any value in a 15-team format with 25 players per team? 
Very good question. I've been sort of wondering that uh, as well today with the news breaking yesterday of Marlowe signing. And I think we have to temper our expectations for Marlowe at this point of his career. He's, he's aged remarkably well uh, into his late 30s to now I think he's 39, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, it's live, don't forget. Um, he's, he's Because he's such a good skater, a guy who skate. if you're fast, then you, your age doesn't really show. I think last year was the first season of his entire career that he finally started to slow down and, and look more his age. So I don't think Marlowe's going to be a 25-goal guy anymore. I think he might still be a 15-goal guy, especially because the Sharks, um, their forward depth is very questionable right now. Especially, the only thing is the depth the, the depth problems are on the right side. That's why Kevin LeBanc is thrust into that role. He's got no competition. I love Kevin LeBanc in fantasy leagues this year because there's just nobody to take that right-wing job from him. Uh, but on the left side, you still have Evander Kane, and Timo Meyer typically plays the left as well. So Patrick Marlowe, what does he top out as a third liner? Is he gonna, maybe he's going to be playing with Joe Thornton on the third line. So I, I think that, that Marlowe has a low ceiling. So let's say he plays, you know, he's going to probably need a little bit of time to get into game shape. Let's say he plays 70 games. I think he might be, you know, a 10, 15 goal guy. Maybe get some power play time too because he's got some savvy. Maybe 30 points might be a realistic number. Uh, But based on the league you're talking about, that is a 15-team format, 25 players per team. That sounds like he's rosterable. You know your league better than I do, but just those are pretty big rosters, right? So I would assume that that would be a player worth owning. So I, I would say pick him up. Why not? Ooh. Would you take Would you take Mika's advantage ad for your fantasy team? Greetings from the New York Rangers German fan base. All right, uh, thank you, Sven Veit. I mean, that's a tough question because it's you know he's not being compared to anyone. So it's would I take Mika's advantage ad over so and so? It's just would I take him? Period. Yes, I would. He's got eight points in two games, uh, but I still want to give you some more analysis than that, than that, of course. And that is, you know, maybe the question should be: uh, Should we be treating Mika Zibanejad as a top-tier fantasy center now? I think we probably should be. He had the best season of his career last year, hit the 30-goal mark, I believe, more than 70 points. That was before Artemi Panarin came to town. The chemistry already appears to be there, and Zibanejad, you know, he's been a two-way guy. Uh, back to his time in Ottawa, but he was a top 10 pick in his draft class. So the talent was there, the ceiling was there, the pedigree was there. So I don't think we can look at what Zibanejad did last year and call it a fluke. I think it was more him realizing the potential that he always had. That trade, the the Derek Broussard deal with Ottawa, looks pretty bad now for Ottawa. Uh, And I do think now we could very well see Zibanejad be an 80-point guy. Uh, You know, he's He's averaging four points per game now, so he's not going to... I don't think Zibanejad's going to you know, win the scoring title. But could I see him scoring 35 goals, 80 points, having the best season of his career? I really could. And what I like about his situation in a fantasy context is there isn't much competition at center because you have Philip Heedle, who first-round pick, good ceiling long-term, but he's been sent down. Leas Anderson is a two-way guy. Ryan Strom, we know who Ryan Strom is at this point. He's not going to evolve and suddenly become a first-line center at this stage of his career. And uh, Brett Howden, same thing. I don't see a massive ceiling. You look at the, the potential guys to play center. It's the bandage that is so clearly the number one guy. The minutes are going to be there, huge minutes. And he's reliable defensively too, which just increases his ceiling in terms of playing time. So I love the situation. And yes, he's a guy that you want to own if you can get your hands on him. Absolutely. Okay, and this question is from Matt Banks. And Matt says, is Anthony Sorelli worth adding for a fourth center option? I'm going to take a sip of water first, and I'm going to answer. Yes. Steven, you want to say something? Yes. He says yes. And I agree with Steven, Matt. Uh, Sorelli is a guy that I was high on all offseason. 
if you have bonus points for shorthanded points, that's reason enough to own Anthony Sorelli because he's a shorthanded demon. Um, but I, I just think the talent's there. He's been a clutch kid all the way back to his junior days as an Oshawa general. He had a knack for scoring, like not just game-winning goals, championship-winning goals. Uh, and I think he is a player that the coaching staff trusts because he's good at both ends of the ice. He's one of the best penalty killers. You can make a case he was the best penalty killing forward in the NHL last year as a rookie. Very impressive. So you know he has that trust, which means he's always going to be getting a decent share of minutes. And what I'm most intrigued about is, you know, Braden Point, obviously the lineup's going to change when Point's fully healthy, back to business, hip is better. But the fact that Sorelli, they really experimented even in the preseason. Like he was getting random looks with like Steven Stamkos in almost the first line kind of role. So you've seen in the past the Lightning, John Cooper, if a, if a guy is too talented to keep out of the top six, they'll find a way to shoehorn him, even if it means moving like moving Stamkos to the right wing, whatever they have to do. I think that the minutes will be there. I don't think that Sorelli is going to be, you know, a, a, an all star caliber forward, but for again, fourth center, I could see Sorelli being a 20 goal guy, 40 point guy, which is not bad if you're in a deep league for your fourth center. And uh, that said, I think right now, Sorelli is a better real-life player than fantasy player. We'll see if that changes down the road. But I, I just I just like Sorelli's game. He kind of reminds me of a young version of what John Madden used to be uh, to the New Jersey Devils back in the day. So a guy that can put the puck in the net uh, better than most checkers, but is still a really good checker, clutch performer, all that kind of stuff. Okay, let's see if we have any more coming in. This question is from Ralph Wiggum. Ralph is a regular reader. Hey, Ralph. And Ralph says, do you keep a Jenny Malkin? Or will that be regret for the entire season? Tough question because, again, and, and I always try to tell people this, uh, asking questions in fantasy. By the way, keep, keep the questions coming. Keep them coming. But um, I always try to tell people like, context of your league is important if you're asking me a question, right? So do you keep Malkin? Well, is it, a, is it a, an eight-team league where there's a great player like Zabanajad on the wire? It helps to know that, right? Um, but overall, uh, Jenny Malkin, he's a guy that, you know, you know what you get with the Jenny Malkin. Uh, and even before he, this this more serious injury, he's going to be better than a point-per-game player. He's going to be a first-round caliber player who's going to give you 65 games, 60 games. He's going to give you, you know, he's going to give you um, in most seasons 75 points in 65 games. So you have to understand it comes with the territory. And But I think that as Malkin gets older now, he's getting into his 30s, the time missed due to injury is going to, maybe start expanding which is what we're seeing this year so he becomes a dangerous own uh you know it's almost like if you have malkin uh now might be well, i mean not, maybe not now but he's someone when he once he's healthy you might want to sell but if you don't have malkin because of the injury reputation maybe he's someone you you knock on the door to see if you can get him for really cheap especially if you have a team that you think is going to be dominant in your league and malkin can be your you know your injury stash for later in the season fair enough but overall i think and i i uh, put this into my rankings this year i, I Push Malkin the lowest I've ever, I've ever had him, just because he's just a guy you cannot count on to be healthy anymore. And same goes for Patrice Bergeron, great player. Bergeron playing the best offensive hockey of his career the last couple seasons, but he's a 65 game guy. So you have to remember that when guys are so consistently missing, especially on these teams like Boston, Pittsburgh, that have won a lot. So they they sort of manage their best players sometimes, trying to keep them healthy because what they care about are the playoffs. So the Penguins, Penguins aren't. Their goal isn't to win a President's Trophy. It's still always to win a cup, which means that you know Malkin, even if he comes back healthy, his minutes and his games will be managed down the stretch if necessary. So that does become a headache for fantasy owners. Okay, next one. Ooh, Brad Lucas. Andrei Svechnikov has eight points so far. What do you think he can produce this season? He's a very popular breakout pick among our staff. We all love Andrei Svechnikov. Uh, we don't love it when he fights 
giant Alex Ovechkins, but that's another story. Uh, Svechnikov's a guy who's just, he's got the strength and just the natural goal-scoring ability to be, I think he can be like a Vladimir Tarasenko. I know it's weird when people always want to compare nationalities, maybe it's subconscious, and he's bigger, but uh, but Tarasenko is enormously strong. Um, but I think their impact in the league can be similar. Uh, so I do think this is going to be a big breakout year for Sechnikov. I, I could see him being, I know he's getting a lot of assists right now, so it shows that he's not just a just a goal scorer. He's not one-dimensional. Um, but I think, you know, the range of outcomes for a player that talented is, it's wide. Uh, you know, if I, if I were to just predict his stat line right now, I'll say, you know, he gets 25 to 30 goals, maybe 55 points. So a nice step forward. At the same time, he's very talented and, when your ceiling is that high, you could break out at any t- at any point, and he's got great line mates in Carolina. They look like the best team in the league so far after you know ten days or so. So maybe I'm underestimating. Maybe he's a seventy point player this year. I don't know. But either way, I, I think he's someone you should be very excited about. He's going to have a great career, and he's someone I would try to trade for. Hold him if you got him. I got one question for you. Uh, I've seen a lot of talk about in, in really deep pools where the only options for goaltenders are kind of backup goalies. Would you like a guy like Curtis McElhinney or a guy like Yaroslav Halak? Interesting. So McElhinney is a guy because he plays for such a good team, uh, although Steven Stamkos doesn't think the Lightning are good right now. Uh, he'll give you some good rate stats, and you know that, uh, and he'll give you some wins, and you know that they're going to try and rest Vasilevsky. But I prefer Halak because Boston is has so heavily bought into the culture of resting, and Halak was so good last year, he's earned that trust, that I, I fully expect Halak to be like a 30-game goalie this year. So as far as the backups go, like I call I call Halak a luxury backup. He's he's almost he's close to a one B. Rask is still the unquestioned starter, as you saw in the playoffs. Like he was the man, but Halak is going to get a nice chunk of the pie with a very good defensive team in front of him. So the quality of chances might not necessarily be very high, which ups his chances for really good rate stats. So just all in all, and Halak is an amazing pick if you're in a league with daily transactions and you can just stream. That's a guy you want to chase. Whenever Halak's starting, just toss him in there because he'll probably perform as well as one of the better starters on most nights with that team in front of him. Time for a few more here. So we're going to go to Max Likes Salmon. Max, I like Salmon too, i got to say. Uh, and he says, Sammy Blaze having a great start to the year. Is it a fluke or is he really someone to keep an eye on in a 10-team, 15-player per team pool? So that, that pool is a little shallow, I think, for a guy like Sammy, Sammy Blay. 15, like only 150 players, right? And that doesn't include goalies. So that means 20 goalies. If you have two goalies per team, that's 130 skaters. And that doesn't include the defensemen, right? So that's a pretty shallow player pool. Uh, and Sammy Blay, he's scoring so far. He's playing with... Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron, but we should be clear, Sammy, Sammy Blay is a blunt instrument, okay? He, he's just, I call him a wild man. He just has little regard for his own physical safety. He crashes into people. He's very fun to watch, and I'm in a very, very deep league, and I own him, and I was telling people to pick him up because he's a great depth piece who's going to get some even strength points, and he's a hitting machine. He's kind of like William Carrier in, in Vegas. Just every time he plays, it's like, oh, six hits, ten hits, nine hits. But Blay is also higher up in the lineup, so he's a valuable piece on a depth league, especially if your league counts hits. But by the sounds of it, Max, that league is shallow. So I don't know if you're going to have to dig that deep. I know right now he's been, I think he had three points in his first two games or something, or whatever it is, three and three. Um, but I don't, he's not going to be a point-per-game guy. I think Sammy Blay might be a 15-goal, 35-point guy if he plays a full season, but he's going to get like 250 or 300 hits. So that's where, where he's going to deliver uh, his value. Next one is from Chad Stallworth. That's a good name, Chad. 
I dropped Kako, Kapo Kako for Nick Suzuki. No, Chad. Will Suzuki break out offensively and play top six full-time this year? Okay, so sorry to chirp you there, Chad, uh, but I think you jumped the gun. Uh, I, I do like Nick Suzuki long-term, but Suzuki's a guy who's not guaranteed, guaranteed to even stick with, with Montreal all season, depending on how he does. Uh, he's a very intelligent player. Uh, he kind of like, kind of reminds me a bit of Robert Thomas uh, in that people love his IQ. And I think they both were London Knights, but my memory serves me right. Um, am I right, Stephen? Yeah. All right. And But the thing about Suzuki versus Kako is Kako, Kapo Kako is here to play. Kapo Kako is here to play in the top six. Kapo Kako is a New York Ranger. He will be a New York Ranger all season. That's not in doubt. He's very physically mature for his age. He's six foot three. I think he's about 190 pounds. Uh, and the opportunity is going to be there. And the, he's second overall pick. The ceiling is much higher. So I'm hoping that he's cleared waivers in your league, okay, Chad? Because you need to... You need to correct this mistake. You got to go get Capo Caco back. And if anybody who's in Chad's league is is watching, you got to you got you to make Chad pay for this because that was a mistake. I'm hoping for your sake, though, Chad, it's a keeper league because Suzuki is still going to be a valuable player. I'm a big fan of his, but I'm just a bigger fan of Capo Caco. Okay. Uh, this is going to be our final question. Okay, it's from Jerry five two five eight seven zero one one. Jerry's name sounds like a Wi-Fi password. Um, any chance on 2019-20 being the Beauvillier breakout year? That's a tough one. Anthony Beauvillier is a player who confuses me um, because he's, he's got some offensive talent. He flashes it. But I, I just can't tell. Uh, he's not improving by leaps and bounds. I don't know if he's going to be an elite player. I, I think he's going to top out as sort of a middle six player. So it depends on what you mean by breakout. Can, can Beauvillier have a 20-goal, 50-point season? I think he can because I think he typically floats into that top six somewhere in the top six for the Isles. Uh, but I don't I don't see Bovillier being a, a star in this league. So I think he's going to be just a depth guy who's valuable to his team in, in real life. And he's going to be sort of a, like almost like what what David Perron has settled into being, okay? So Perron, I know Perron was, was a first-round pick. He had some pretty good pedigree. And he's had some very good seasons. But I think Perron is a guy who, you know, per, you don't think of David Perron as a first-line player. He's a good depth guy who can play on an offensive role, but he can also play as low as the third line, and I think that's the type of career that Anthony Beauvillier is going to have. That's my prediction, okay? Well, it's 2.30, everyone. Uh, my voice is not all the way back, so I'm going I'm I'm to tap out, but I hope you guys enjoyed it, and we're going to be doing this throughout the season, so keep the questions coming. It was a lot of fun, and uh, I'll see you, or you'll see me next time.